welcome you to John Wesley United Methodist Church in Houston's podcast. I'm Marty Dunbar, one of the pastors. We are a church that seeks to connect people to Jesus Christ, and we are traveling through our Sunday morning message series of the study of the letter of 1 John, study of love. We have traveled through about three weeks, and we get up to the end of our study this week, and it's Pastor Todd Cooper, our executive pastor, who is sharing the message as he goes and deals with chapter 5 of 1 John. And so I know you will find this message inspiring, very challenging on what does it truly mean to be a Christian and how we walk in the light of Jesus Christ. And so may you take time to listen to this and have a blessed one. The year was 1982. This song was dominating the pop charts. Can anybody tell me the name of it? Eye of the Tiger. And can you tell me what movie it went along with? Oh, so you're kind of smarty pants, huh? Which Rocky? What? Rocky 3. You remember Rocky 3? That was the one with Sylvester Stallone, of course, and Mr. T played Clubber Lang. And the, the movie, you know, Apollo Creed comes on the scene to train Rocky to get back in it because he fights Mr. T once and gets his clock cleaned. And so Apollo Creed starts teaching start teaching uh, Sylvester Stallone, Rocky again, and, and then they come back to an, uh, fight Mr. T again, and so now they're standing in the ring, and you could like slide a piece of paper between Rocky's nose and Mr. T's mouth, because Rocky's a little short guy, Mr. T's pretty big, and, and the scene goes, there's the tensions filling the air, and, and then Mr. T just looking at Rocky, and he's staring at, at him, and they're looking back and forth, and Mr. T says, I'm going to bust you up. <laughs> and Rocky, in his New York accent, he looks back at him and says, go for it. <laughs> right? In that same year, 1982, a new GMC pickup truck cost $5,400. A gallon of gas cost 91 cents per gallon. It seems like such a far away time if we just compare the cost of things today. I mean, let's be realistic. You could not go buy that 1982 GMC pickup truck today for $5,400. And if you were to go buy a new truck, you're going to look at a price tag more like $50,000 instead of $5,000. And $50,000 may be a cheap one. But for me, it was a much bigger year. It's the year that I remember God began nudging me. Let's call it a acknowledgement of prevenient grace. And I remember it very clearly because I was uh, in VBS that summer and I remember asking my VBS teacher, how do you become a Christian? And her answer was pretty simple. You just need to believe in Jesus. 
Now, I guess we could just ignore that whole thing in Mark 124 where it says even the demons believe in Jesus. But for an elementary school student, I thought, hey, that's easy. So bada bing, I'm a Christian. At least I was in my head. But you see, as I got older and more mature, I realized something about that time. I realized that there was never a change in my heart. My head, my intellect, my understanding knew this person named Jesus, but my heart was in the same place it had always been. And that was manifested before me as I continued to grow and moved into my teenage years. I mean, if my heart was truly changed, if I had truly accepted Jesus as my Savior, I probably wouldn't have been such an angry teenager. I probably wouldn't have got in all the trouble that I got in both at home and at school. I probably wouldn't have been in all the fights that I got in while I was in school. I probably wouldn't have been expelled as many times as I was while I was in school. So for you young folks today, there's hope for you. You see, when I go back and I look at the me then, I know that there was never a change in my heart. There was never a change in my attitude towards God. There was never a change in my attitude towards one another. My head, my intelligence, my intellect knew Jesus, but my heart had never really experienced his love and his grace. Now, if you've not been with us over the last uh, four weeks now, uh, we have been working through this letter of love called 1 John. Marty started off the first week and he talked about what it means to walk in fellowship with God. Then the second week he talked about how we become love in and for the world. And then last week he talked about our calling to love one another. This week the Apostle John is going to challenge us as to our identity in Christ and how that identity should be manifested into the world. So let's jump into it. I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter five. Now, if you're visiting with us, we uh, provide Bibles for you. They're in the back of the pews and there's also under your legs if you're in the front or back pews. 1 John chapter five, it's where we're gonna be kind of camping out today. Now, as you're making your, your way there, uh, let me remind you that John is writing to, it says in uh, 1 John chapter one, that John is writing to all believers. Now, most scholars would, would say that John wrote this letter from Ephesus. So if that is true, then John is writing this letter to the churches of Ephesus. So when he talks about he's writing this to all believers, that was really the intent in his mind as those people in that region. Now, what's the purpose of him writing this letter? As Marty has told you, he's dealing with the rise of Gnosticism in the church. Gnostics believe that humans or human matter is evil. All humans are innately evil. Now this is problematic if we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh, in human form. 
It's also problematic if we believe that any good or love that we express in the world is really the manifestation of God or the Holy Spirit working through us. This letter has two purposes. John wanted to expose the false teaching of the Gnostics, but he also wanted to assure the believers of their salvation. So how do we live a life in 2019? How do we live a life assured of our own salvation? Let me put it to you a different way. How do you know that you're a Christian? How do you know that you're really saved? Maybe you're like I I was. Maybe you have knowledge of Jesus. You've been in church your whole life. You understand the person of Jesus. Or maybe you just come to church, but, but maybe your heart has never really been changed. But there's also, I know many of you who have come face to face with the Holy Spirit and your life does look different than it once did. As it kind of refers to in some places in the Old Testament, you have thrown off that old cloak and put on a new. Well, hopefully John's going to teach us the answer to these questions. So read along with me. We're going to be in 1 John chapter 5. We're going to begin with verse 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the children born of him. By this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. I don't know about you, but those two verses are just a little bit confusing, so I just want to summarize it for you and tell you that what John is saying is that faith is the predecessor of godly love. Faith in your life is the predecessor of godly love and the sign for you that you have accepted this faith in your life, that you are born of God, is that you love God and you love one another. Let's continue verses three and four. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now let's just think about this for a second. It sounds like John is telling us that we should should be focused on keeping all of God's commands in our life. How many commands did God give us? I hear differences of opinions here. God has given us 613 commands. It's all in the Old Testament. It's called the mitzvah, correct? 613 commands. And and the Jews had a hard time keeping all 613 commands that are in the law. And and isn't that the reason now why we have Jesus? Because they couldn't fulfill the law. They couldn't keep all these commands and and do everything that it said. So that's why Jesus came into the world. Uh, Yes and no. Remember, Jesus said, I have not come to do away with the law. 
He said, I didn't come to do away with the stuff in the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. And he also said, you too can fulfill all 613 commands if you simply do two things, simply. Two things, what are they? Love the Lord God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you are truly connected to the vine, if you are truly connected to Jesus, then out of you will flow love for one another. Look at verse five. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So let's think about that for a second. How do we in 2019 overcome the world? How do we overcome a world that is filled with false teachings and false idols? John says, well, the first thing is that you need to believe in the Son of God. I would say it this way, your, your faith is what will sustain you. How do you get through a world full of false teachings and false idols? Your faith is what will sustain you. Now, what does he mean by this title, Son of God? Mark is, is really the scholar on giving Jesus titles. There's many different titles for him in the Gospel of Mark, but it still means the same thing. This, this title, Son of God, simply means anointed one or Messiah, right? They were watching for the Messiah to come in the world and to, to save the world. So Jesus is the Messiah sent into the world, the Son of God sent in the world to save it. Now verses six or nine tell us that the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the witness to this truth. The Holy Spirit inside of you is the witness to this truth. It's not some sort of fable that's just planted in a select few people. That's what the Gnostics were teaching, that, that, that this was a special or secret revelation that only a few people have it. John says, says no, uh, you're all, you all have this planted inside of you. Look, he, he expands on it in verse 10. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe in God has made God a liar. He has not believed in the testimony that God has put inside of him concerning his son. John is teaching us that if you believe in Jesus, then the only way that you could have had true belief in Jesus is if the, the Spirit of God was speaking to you and teaching you and convicting you and telling you who Jesus really is. And we all had this spirit inside of us, whether we recognize that spirit or not, it is inside of you. In the Wesleyan theology, we call this prevenient grace. It's always there. I refer to it as the hound of heaven. God is always chasing after you, pursuing you. You can reject it, ignore it, whatever you wanna do, but it doesn't mean that God is not there. God is inside all of us. And if we choose not to believe this testimony that is in us, if we choose to ignore it, to reject it, to brush it aside, then that's no different than saying God is a liar. Let's move on, verses 11 and 12. 
Now, 11 and 12, it's really the meat of this entire text in, in chapter 5. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. The greatest act of love that has ever been displayed has come from God. God loves you so much that he has given you eternal life by sending his son in the world as a sacrifice for your sin. If you are connected to, if you are in relationship with him, then you will have eternal life. If you are not in relationship with him, if you choose to reject the promptings of the Holy Spirit that is inside you, that is inside everyone, you will not have life. You understand what he's saying? Let's, let's kind of bring it all together from where he started to where he is now. Faith is the predecessor of godly love. If you have faith, then you will love one another. You understand you can't get away from it. It is an external testimony to an internal change. If your heart has truly been changed, you will love other people. You can't help it. It just comes out of you. And if you had that faith, if you had that belief and trust in Christ, then you will overcome this world. How do we overcome the world? We overcome the world because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. This is not all there is to life. Now, now never forget the context of, of any passage of Scripture. Context is always the key. John is writing to all believers in the area of Ephesus who are dealing with this Gnostic teaching creeping into the church. And they're teaching that no one is good. Everyone is evil. So John tells his readers why he's even talking to them, why he's even writing this letter to begin with. Look at verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know that you have eternal life? Is it because you're a nice person? Is it because you volunteer at the food bank? Is it because you've been a member of a church for a certain period of time? That's not what John teaches. Those things don't assure you of eternal life. There's a lot of nice people in the world that completely reject any existence of God. John says you'll have eternal life if you have faith in Jesus, if you believe in Jesus. Now, one thing I want to address in that passage of Scripture, because some people get confused in it, in verse 13, it says, uh, I've written these things to you who believe in the name of of the Son of God. What does that mean to believe in the name of the Son of God? To believe in the name of the Son of God means to believe in the person of Jesus. 
believe who he is, who he claimed to be, what he claimed to do. You remember the story, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he said, who do people say I am? And the disciples, you know, kind of fumble along and stuff. And, oh, some people say that you're a prophet and, and some people say, well, you're Elijah, resurrected and, you know, different things. And so Jesus looks at him and say, well, who do you say I am? Do you remember what was said? Peter said, you're the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah sent from God to save the world. Again, John is combating this Gnostic teaching that's claiming that the only way to have access to God, to have any understanding of God, is if you have this secret or special revelation. That's how you get in the club. And John is saying, no, that's not true. All of us have the Spirit of God that's living in us, and, and that is what is teaching you and convicting you about the person of Jesus. Let's continue verse 14. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked for him. So along with this assurance of eternal life, believers will experience confidence in their relationship with God through prayer. In other words, go and pray about it. If it aligns with the will of God, then it's gonna become very real to you. You're not gonna be able to wash it off your hands. You're not gonna be ignored. It's going to, to convict your soul. Then once again, this is another way for you to have assurance in your relationship with God is because you know that there's two-way communication going on here. Look at verse 16 and 17, last two. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask God's will for him that he would give life to those who commit the sin not leading to death. There is a sin that leads to death and I do not say that he should make this request. Verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not leading to death. Now, I don't know about you, but that is a mouthful and pretty confusing. But my first response to this passage is, is wow, okay, I get that. Uh, uh, if I truly love other folks, if I truly love other people, man, I'm gonna be praying for them. I'm gonna be lifting them up in prayer. Even when they step out of line, I'm gonna be lifting them up before God. That's, that's part of what he's talking about. John Wesley would have said, that's actually what it means to love one another. When John Wesley talked about loving one another, he said, yeah, certainly lifting up in prayer, but really as a Wesleyan, that understanding would be not to be afraid to call them on the carpet when they step out of line. Wesley was big on accountability. If you want to, to search that more, you can look up John Wesley's sermon number 65, one of his best. 
but it talks about how we are to love one another. I think it's the same thing that the Apostle John is talking about here. He says, if we see someone that is in sin or sinning, not living a a practice of sin, like a practice of hate, but someone who's committing a sin, as we all do, we should go to them and we should ask for God's intervention for their behalf to help that person overcome that sin to come to a place of repentance. Then he ends at verse 17 by saying, everything we do that is wrong is a sin, but not all sin is fatal. Again, he's combating the Gnostic teaching that everybody's evil. John's saying, no, not everybody's evil, but everybody does sin. That is true. If you studied the Apostle John and you were to look at his gospel writings and you were to look at these three books of John right before the book of Revelation, you would understand that all the language in them, they're the same. It's how we know it's the same person writing it. And John wrote in a a format called the Wisdom Tradition. And you get a lot of this love language in there. So they're really intrinsically kind of tied together. And you probably know the, the most popular verse in all the Bible is John three sixteen. Do you know what it says? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever shall believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. I want you to say that with me, John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, God's relationship with us is the greatest love story of all time. If your hearts have truly been changed, then love will come out of you naturally. It's not something you have to force. So what evidence do you have that your heart has truly been changed? I'm not talking about how do you get into heaven. I'm talking about how do you have the insurance in your life that you're actually connected to the vine, that you're actually connected to Jesus. Let me give you three things to take with you. The first thing is faith comes first. John says believe in the name of Jesus. Your faith comes first. There has to be a real change in your life. That doesn't mean that you're not gonna experience times where your faith is weak or your faith is even tempted. We are all tempted. We are are tempted to put anything and everything before Christ. But your faith is the first key. And remember what this great letter has already taught us since, since chapter one. Let me share it with you. First John chapter two, verses 23. The one who confesses the son has the father also. First John four, two. Everyone who confesses Christ is from God. First John five, one. Everyone who believes in Christ is born of God. Faith comes first. Number two, you have that faith. You've been justified. You've accepted Christ. 
the second thing you should do, the second way to have confidence in your standing is look at your daily walk. Look at your daily walk. John teaches us the same understanding as gospel. He only used the analogy of the plant. He says, are you bearing kingdom fruit? Are you making a difference in the kingdom? Are you just going through the motions of Christianity? Are you a a kingdom builder? If you're a kingdom builder, there's very little doubt that that you wouldn't be connected to Christ, right? If you're connected with Christ, your, your priorities, your life, everything will be different. No longer are you gonna be wearing those old clothes, but you will have put on a new cloak of righteousness. Number three, examine how you love others. Examine how you love others. Are you always tearing folks down? Are you always building them up? First John three fourteen says, you have overcome death if you love your brother. If you show real love towards one another, then surely you're connected to Christ. But if you've received nothing else from this sermon series, I want you to receive this. The love that you express to one another can only come from God. And everyone who loves is born of God. And everyone who is born of God knows God and has a relationship with him. So the only question for you left this morning is do you love him? You're welcome to respond, church. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your holy word. We We thank you for the way that you teach us and convict us. We thank you for the assurances that we have in our lives that we are truly connected to you, the giver of life. Father, may we use that connection and show others the love that you've shown to us. Let us be a difference maker in the world by showing love when other people do not. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this message. And if you did, I invite you to support our ministry by giving online at jwumc.org give. Also would invite you to find a church to attend on a regular basis or join us at John Wesley on Sunday mornings at 815, 9 o'clock and 1115. God bless and have a great week.